professor in seminary who would tell us constantly, do not immunitize the eschaton. Do not immunitize the eschaton, which is a fancy way of saying, do not bring about, do not try to bring about heaven on earth. Do not try to bring about heaven on earth. Whenever the apostles asked Christ the question in the first reading, Lord, are you here to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is now the time? Because it has been 40 days that Christ has been risen and has been risen with the apostles. Those 40 days are reminiscent of the Israelites journeying with um, Moses into the promised land. And so they're asking, Lord, are you going to bring about the kingdom of heaven here on earth? He says, no, it is not for you to know the time or the hour. And then he ascends into heaven. He ascends into heaven. And he shows that our destiny is not meant for here on earth. Now, there are several ways throughout human history in which both culturally and on an individual level that we've tried to immunitize the eschaton. Whether it's through building a utopia, through uh, you know, the promise of Marxism, which leads to the death of millions upon millions of humans, or whether it's the endless seeking for pleasure that only leads to drug addiction and, and alcohol abuse. But there's one way in which Christ punts um, the hope of heaven into the next life, practically in the life of the church, where he shows that by this lifestyle, we are not immunitizing the eschaton. And that is Christ's call to virginity, which is what I'm going to talk about in this homily, Christ's call to virginity. Now, when I say virginity, I don't mean a person who has never been sexually intimate. This is not exactly what I mean. What I mean is that call, that lifestyle of celibacy, that lifestyle of, of consecrated virginity, that lifestyle that maybe a monk or a nun, religious, a priest would live. That kind of virginity. Now, the biblical foundations for this sometimes think, well, this is just something, or maybe the culture has told us, this is something that the Catholic Church has, has made so that it's a way to maybe oppress its priests, you know, and, uh, and to make them more efficient workers, perhaps. But virginity goes all the way back to Christ and his words in Matthew 19 when he says, there are those who are celibate for the kingdom, and whoever can choose this ought to accept it. Whoever can choose this ought to accept it. Now, that's very different from, hey, you know that one guy in the corner we think like can't get a girlfriend? Perhaps he should be a priest, you know? He should go and do that, because we know there's nothing else for him. That's not what Christ says. He says, whoever can accept virginity ought to accept it. So why is that? A lot of different reasons. First, let's begin with the two perfect people that have ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus and Mary. They are both virgins. Then, let's talk about, in that same chapter, whenever Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, virgins for the sake of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven, why that's the case. It's because he says that this is the way in which we will live in heaven. We will live as virgins in heaven. 
And the reason is because God will be all in all. Ever since the, from the very beginning, marriage is given as a sign of God's love for us. But then, once God becomes man in the person of Jesus Christ and shows us who he is, he opens the doors for virginity, saying that now you have seen, behold my face, you can live now as you will live in heaven. You can live now as you will live in heaven. And you will give hope to those who are on earth um, of the promise of heaven. And so whenever Christ institutes virginity as a sign for the kingdom of heaven, he doesn't do so to say, hey, you know those priests or those religious and how they remain single? That's kind of strange, isn't it? It shows that there's a sign of heaven. No, the way that virginity should be lived, the way that we should see at least good virgins live their virginity, is this is a person who is in love with someone who is infinitely lovable. This is a person who is in love with someone who is infinitely lovable. And for that reason, he's experiencing eternal life even now. For that reason, he has a joy, she has a joy that is untouchable, that is unfazable. She has, or he has, a very whole heart. Because this is ultimately what we ask hope for. This is man's deepest desire, that he is in love with someone who is infinitely lovable. This is why I hate rom-coms, you know, because they're so unrealistic. That you find someone who is, you know, who who is imperfect with you in every, you know, in every perfect way, and you're supposed to remain imperfect with them in every imperfect way, and then everything is just happily ever after. That's that's not our destiny. We're made for perfection, and we're made for God alone Himself. And so this is one of the reasons why we have um, this call to virginity. But it is worth saying that this call is not a command. Again, Christ commands that we be humble. Whoever does not become like a little child will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But then he invites those to celibacy. For those who can accept it ought to accept it. And so what is its function in the church? For married people, virginity is a reminder of the primacy of the Spirit and of God. And what it also does is that it liberates marriage and each of the partners from the unbearable weight of having to be everything for the other, of taking the place of God. Virginity shows that married people do not have to be everything for one another. This kind of pressure that we put on one another Whenever we say, well, God can't fulfill the deepest desires of my heart, so now you have to, is what causes so much frustration in marriages and leads to the 50% divorce rate that we see now um, in our country. And it also offers a kind of hope because it saves marriage from despair, saying if this doesn't work, then nothing works. If I can't find absolute happiness in my partner, then love does not exist. So that ultimately our marriage is with God in heaven. And in that way, 
causes a real amount of hope. Now, the question then is, is what about the unnaturalness of of virginity? Well, whenever we look at virginity now from a mental health standpoint, and we have to acknowledge from what standpoint does like the mental health critique come? Psychology has, modern psychology at least, has its basis in Sigmund Freud, who reduced every desire that man has to a sexual one. Every desire that man has, he saw as a sexual one. Because of that, we now, and because of other thinkers, live in a world where everything is now sexualized in the commercial world. And now we experience as a culture, maybe the greatest in human history, an amount of sexual deviancy that we have not seen. And so for modern psychology to say, well, virginity just isn't healthy, it's not natural, can't point to the results of the culture that we live in today and all the sexual deviancy that happens and say, and this is what healthy sexuality looks like, because it shouldn't look like that. What man's end is, is God himself. St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. For that reason, there is a way in which virginity is most natural, in which virginity is our, all of our destinies. If not on this side of heaven, then certainly on the next side of heaven. And because of that, then there's nothing that is unnatural about virginity, though there is something that is supernatural about virginity that is above our nature. Now, while virginity like proposes an amount of hope and gives hope for chaste relationships for those who are married and hope for everyone um, in their desire for heaven and that God truly does exist whenever we see a happy virgin. It also helps with mission because here's the other primary critique. Not only is virginity not natural, it's not healthy, but also, well, if there were, if the church allowed for married priests, then we would have, then we would have more priests. And what we have to acknowledge is that in 2000 year history of the church, for that time, in 2000 years, the church has allowed for married priests. And these Catholic priests are not Roman Catholic priests. They are priests of the Eastern Catholic Church. And at this point, you might be wondering, well, what is the Eastern Catholic Church? And that is exactly the point. Within the Eastern Catholic Church, celibacy is not required for its priests. It is only required in the Roman Catholic Church. But because of that, because of the celibate priesthood, the Roman Catholic Church is the large branch of the Catholic Church that it is today. And most people don't even know about the Eastern Catholic Church because it's a drop in the bucket compared to the population of Roman Catholics. The celibate priesthood has allowed for priests to devote themselves more to the work of the mission, the mission of Christ, the mission of the church. It has also offered amount of hope and undivided heart to those who pursue something great and say, I desire that as well. I desire to give my heart, my whole heart, over to the Lord and his mission and to the church. For that reason, 
celibacy will always be a heroic witness if lived well for the church and for the conversion of souls. And so the Lord is still calling people to be virgins. He's calling people, perhaps confident within this very church building tonight, to be virgins. I know for myself personally, the call to have an undivided heart for the Lord preceded, at least my own experience, the call to be a priest. Because the Lord wants to be loved with an undivided heart. I'll end this this quote from the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard and he why he writes that God wants celibacy. God wants celibacy because he wants to be loved. O oh, infinite majesty, even if you were not love, even if you were aloof in your infinite majesty, I could not help loving you, for I need something majestic to love. What others have complained of, namely, that they did not find love in this world, and therefore felt the need to love you, since you are love, which I agree with totally. I would like to proclaim too, and apply it to the majestic. There was and still is in my soul a need for majesty, which I shall never grow tired or weary of adoring. In the world, I found nothing of this majesty for which I yearn.